0: Why are you here? Why are you here? And I'm not just speaking about here, here, but I'm speaking about here. We learned last week that we are here for one primary reason, and that is to glorify our Creator. We were created for that purpose. And the only way to have a fulfilling life and to accomplish what we were created for is to live a life that is designed around the intent to glorify our God. One of the ways in which we glorify Him is to obey what His Word commands. And to obey His Word... As we look to the Scriptures, we find a variety of commands, some of which seem to be priorities in life. And it seems oftentimes that when a person is preparing to leave others for whom there is deep love and concern, they give them perhaps the thing that is most heavily upon their heart. And it appears that that's exactly the way the Lord left his disciples. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, or more accurately, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When he met with his disciples prior to his departure uh, there on the Mount of Olives, He told them this. He said, You are going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord gave very, very clear commands. He furthered that understanding as he me- uh, gave a message to us through the apostle Paul in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 where he said this you you commit the truths that i have shared with you to faithful men who will be able to teach others also and the whole thread that runs through these final commands boils down to this make disciples If you look at the front of our bulletin, our purpose statement is very clear. Why are we here? It's our purpose to glorify God by producing disciples. That is completely consistent with the directive that the Lord gave to those whom He had called as His disciples and that responsibility now falls upon the shoulders of those who through a line of succession have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and have embraced the commands that the Lord has given with the intent of glorifying God and realizing that we are here to produce disciples. The church exists to produce disciples. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you really have a twofold responsibility. One is to develop as a disciple yourself, and the other is to help others become disciples. And in order to do that, we've got to have a clear picture of what a disciple is all about. I read a definition that I thought was pretty helpful, and it said this The disciple of Christ is one who believes his doctrines rests upon His sacrifice, imbibes His spirit, and imitates His example. When you look at those that the Lord had set apart to be His own disciples, you see those characteristics in their lives. You're able to look and say, you know what, that's exactly what we saw develop within their lives. And we begin to learn what it is to be a disciple, and then by extension, what it means to help make disciples by looking at the lives of those whom Jesus had called around him. Now we know this. There were a variety of different environments in which the Lord communicated his truth. There were the crowds that had gathered. There were the thousands that would gather on the hillside to whom he would speak, and in some cases for whom he would perform miraculous works. Then there was a smaller gathering of disciples and we read about those in the Gospels as he sends out the 70. People go out and serve him as followers of of Christ and they make an impact upon the villages to which they have been sent. But then the Bible tells us this, that Christ spent an entire night in prayer and prepared his heart "...to call the disciples to himself, and from that gathering of disciples, select twelve who would be very, very closely tied to him." And he chose Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas... Matthew, James, Thaddeus, pardon me, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. Eleven of those twelve came from the region of Galilee. There was one who came from Judea. His name was Judas Iscariot. These twelve would follow Jesus. And they would be closely united with Him as He would teach them and prepare them to obey the command that He would give to them three years later as He would depart. Now you go and make disciples. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then here's what you can be assured of. I will be with you until the end of the age. That still echoes in our ears today. We are here to glorify God by producing disciples. In order to do that, we want to see how the Lord did it. We want to see what characterized those disciples. And as we look at their lives, we begin to see some things that are pretty interesting. They all came from different... Walks of life. When you talk about Peter and James and John, these were fishermen. We're very familiar with the, the occupation that they had because throughout the life of Christ himself, there was that involvement with the fishing. And then there was Matthew, who was a tax collector. And from the human perspective, Matthew was hated. He was hated by the people of Israel. And I imagine it was a little difficult initially for the other 11 that Christ had called to follow him closely to accept him without looking at him with a bit of a jaundiced eye. He was the kind of guy that had the reputation of being in cahoots with the Romans. And he would collect, in many cases, unfair taxes from the people in order to support the government of Rome but in addition to that the tax collectors had the reputation of adding to people's taxes and putting the money in their own pockets here's a man named Peter, pardon me Matthew who may have done that but now he comes and finds a savior who can forgive his sin. And grant him freely eternal life for whom he can now dedicate his life as a disciple. There was Simon. He was called Simon the Zealot. And the reason he was called a zealot is because he was involved... We don't know how deeply... But we know that the zealots were involved in an effort to overthrow the Roman government. And it wasn't beyond them to use murder as a means of doing that. They were rebels. They were people who were not happy with the government that was over them and they were prepared to do whatever was necessary to change that government. And now, here is Simon who is brought into this fold And he is exposed to the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who has declared the governments that exist have been placed there by the hand of God. And I am he. We know that Judas was a traitor. And he was placed in charge of the funds of the gathering of these disciples, which leads me to believe he probably had some kind of a commercial background. I, I don't know specifically what he did for a living prior to his following Christ. But because of what he was assigned, we may be given a little bit of a glimpse as to what he did. You look at those guys, and they were all different. They came from a variety of backgrounds. They came from a variety of circumstances of life. They had different desires. They had different perspectives. And yet Jesus said, you're the ones that I want to follow me because through you, I'm going to change the world. And he did. Well, as we look closer at their lives, we begin to understand that these individuals whom he has now identified for us, and we've been able to see the the background of the twelve, they weren't the only ones. They weren't the only ones who had been set apart to be disciples. Because when you look at those twelve, you come to this conclusion, hey, they're all guys. Does that mean that a disciple has to be a male? and the answer is simply no and we can demonstrate that very clearly as you and if you wish you can write down in your notes this passage acts chapter 9 verse 36 where we're told this at joppa there was a certain disciple named tabitha which is translated dorcas this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did now she is identified specifically for us as a lady who was one of Jesus' disciples. And if that were the only place, we would already have enough information to know this, that discipleship is not limited to men. Disciples can be men and women, followers of Christ, committed to the truth of His Word, being directed by the Spirit of God, carrying out the purpose that God has designed them for, to bring honor and glory to Himself. And so when we look at these, we also look at many who were not even named. We've identified some, but through the years, there have been multitudes of individuals whose names we do not have, who have been faithful disciples of Christ. And so what we're left with is this. Who does the Lord intend to have be His disciples. There are people that are of no notoriety. They would be people who come from a whole variety of different backgrounds. They would be men and women. But they would be people who would commit themselves... To the reality of their responsibility as followers of Christ, having placed their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior, and now have committed their lives to follow Him. Who does that include? Now I'm making a sweeping motion with this understanding. It's possible that some of you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. In a gathering of this number, it would not be very unusual to have people who would be seeking, who would say, I would love to know the truth. I would really... There's all these different religions. There's all these different things that people say are the truth. And I really want to know what the truth is all about. I don't want to sound... Uh, proud I I don't want this to sound as if um, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for arrogant but you're in a place right now where you're going to hear the truth and here is the truth we are sinners and our sin has separated us from our God because he is holy But our God, because of His great love for us, His great love for you, gave His Son, the God-Man, one who is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, to visit this earth as Jesus Christ, who would live a life of absolute perfection, showing the love and the beauty of our Creator in perfect demonstration of who He is. Because in Him, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And He went to the cross not because of anything He had done, but because of our sin. And He was nailed to the cross and He gave up His life carrying the punishment of our sin upon Himself. The wages of sin is death. And he died to pay the price that you and I will have to pay if we do not receive the benefits that he provided through his death and burial and resurrection. So that when, by faith, you reach out and accept that sacrifice that God provided through Christ as the substitutionary sacrifice for your sins... When you trust in that and you give up trusting in yourself, you give up believing for a moment that if your good works outweigh your bad works, then God will accept you. Your good works can never atone for your bad works, but Christ can, and He did. And if you trust in Him as your Savior, the Bible says this, He, speaking of God the Father, made Him, speaking of God the Son, who knew no sin, To become sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're still a filthy rotten sinner who has been saved. Who has been forgiven. Who has been given freely the gift of eternal life. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to do that right now. Right now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. This is the truth. I know it is. In my heart, I know that what the pastor is saying is not about religion. It's not about Him. It's not about works. It's about Jesus. And it's what He did. And I receive Him as my Savior to forgive my sins from which I turn away in repentance and I accept Him as my Savior. And at that moment, you pass from death into life. And then, this includes us all. He intends for all of us to be disciples. That's what He wants. So having looked at these other disciples, now we come to this next question. How do you evidence that? What evidence is there that you have become a disciple of Christ. And the first evidence is this, and this to me is good news, those disciples that Jesus called around him were imperfect. Because I think sometimes people say this. How could I possibly be a disciple of Christ? How could he look at me and say, You, I am, I am happy with because you are following me and you are embracing the truths that I have declared to you. And you have chosen to be a disciple of mine. How in the world could I do that? Well, all you have to do is look at the disciples that he put around them and you've got some pretty clear answers. These guys they were really messed up. Even after they walked with Jesus, they were really messed up. They failed in so many different ways. Do you remember how when Jesus fed the 5,000? After that, remember He had the five loaves and the two fish, and He fed 5,000 people, and the disciples took up 12 baskets of leftovers, which the number 12 was identical to, To each one of them, you have doubt in me? Let me show you what I can do. With very little. And you're going to, these 5,000 people are going to eat, and they're going to be full, and you're still going to come up with 12 baskets of extras. If you're like my wife and me, you will get a styrofoam container and take it home. And eat it later. Because we are really cheap. And we love doing stuff like that. And then you might be cheap too. So that's okay. So now here are these guys. And then later Jesus talks to them and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And their thought is this Oh, he must be talking about the fact that we forgot to bring bread with us. And he says, Guys, what are you thinking? I am not talking about the physical bread. Don't you understand? I can take care of that just like this. You want bread? I can make it out of nothing. Right here. Right now. What I'm talking about is this yeast, this sinful desire that is in the hearts of these spiritual, quote unquote, these religious leaders that spreads and permeates. Beware of that leaven. Beware of what goes on in the lives of those who are so self-righteous and self-focused that they begin to affect other people as well. And the disciples are scratching their heads and they say, I guess we didn't get it. And then later on, the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, taught what He taught through through parables. And then he would have to take the disciples to the side and he'd say, now let me tell you what this means. Sometimes you probably have sat there and you've said, I don't get this. I, I don't understand what's being said right now. And Jesus said, I, I know that. So I've given you my Holy Spirit to be your teacher. And he can teach you and he can lead you into all truth. So your inability to understand is only limited by your openness to the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God. Do you remember what happened the night Jesus was betrayed? The soldiers come into the garden where Jesus had been praying. And by the way, another failure was this. While Jesus is praying, they go to sleep. (laughs) The three disciples that He called with Him they all fall asleep. And he says, Can't you just watch with me for one hour? Uh, you, you almost have to put yourself back in this situation. And from the human perspective, it's like the Lord is saying, Come on, guys. What are you doing? You fall asleep? All right. Third time he comes back to them. Okay. Go ahead, sleep away. Something big's about to happen. And you know what happened Jesus is arrested. And the Bible tells us this. And we often pick on Peter because of the, the betrayal that he manifested later on. But the Bible says this. And all the disciples fled. They all ran away. They took off. It was among this group that two of them, I don't know if they were mama's boys or what, James and John had a mother who went to Jesus and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I'd really like you to have my boys sit on your right hand and on your left. (laughs) Jesus makes it very clear. He's not picking out who's going to be on his left and his right, but that is a task for deity. In his humanity, no. In his deity, yes, the right ones. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be yours. Do you remember how those same guys wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy those who were not walking with them? They are known as the sons of thunder. (laughs) And Jesus has to rebuke them. And Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, oh no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. Do you kind of get the picture of these guys? Do do you understand how weak they were? How sinful they still were? How much failure they exhibited? And yet Jesus said, you are the ones through whom I'm going to change the world. What an incredible Savior who takes imperfect people and says, I want you to be my disciple. He wants you to be his disciple. And we learn so much more as we look at these guys. They, they obey him to a degree because after he departs from them and he says, go into all the world, that's exactly what they did. In fact, the Bible does not record where they went, but there are elements of history that record at least to the best that we are able to determine, that these disciples, some went into India, some made their way into the African continent, some of them had made their way into Europe, and they were carrying the message of Christ, and then giving up their lives. Except for John. And and you all know that Judas, the betrayer, was not a true disciple. And he was later replaced But Judas went out and he committed suicide. But all the others died except for John. They they all died as martyrs. Except for John who was tortured and isolated on the Isle of Patmos. So these (laughs) bumbling idiots lived their lives to obey the Savior what a disciple is can I put it this way a bunch of bumbling idiots who desire to serve the Savior does that describe anybody you know look to your left there's one look to your right there's another look in front of you and there's another These guys did what was necessary. They made the sacrifices. Do you remember how Jeff had read to us earlier about those who are going to be followers of Christ hating their mother, their father, their sister, their brother? And in comparison to our commitment to Christ, if it means leaving a mother, you leave your mother. If it means leaving a father, you leave your father. If it means leaving a brother and sister, you leave your brother and your sister. So that you can follow Christ. And you make the priority His will. There are those that think following Christ is going to bring them gain. That if you follow Christ, you are going to be on the blessed end of His His beneficence his willingness to give. And there is no question that he gives because the Bible tells us those who know Christ as Savior, he has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But on this earth, it's going to cost you something to be a disciple. One guy said to him, Lord, I'll, I'll go with you wherever you go. And Jesus said, look, you've got to understand something. Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. Thank you. But the Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay His head. You willing to do that? He calls two others. Follow Me. And the one says, Well, wait, I'll I'll follow you, but... um, first of all, let me bury my dad. Now, from a human point of view, we would read that scripture and we would say, well, isn't that reasonable to have a funeral service? Here's the problem. The dad wasn't dead yet. It's, I'm going to hang around home until dad dies. And Jesus said, you know what? Those who are dying, who don't have an eternal focus, they can put people in the ground but you have the opportunity to do something that has eternal value. He says to another, follow me. And the other says, well, let me first of all go back and say goodbye to my friends. In other words, I want to have a big party before I go because it's probably the last good time I'm going to have. He didn't have any idea what it was like to be a follower of Christ. I don't know how you feel. I love following Christ. I have a good time. If you don't know me, you don't understand how much I love to laugh and to party and to have a good time. But I wake up tomorrow and I don't have a hangover and I am not worried about what I did when I wasn't aware of what I was doing. And living that kind of life is a great life. It's not with regret. And so here is this guy, he wants to go back and party and Jesus gives an answer and he says... The person who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back longingly isn't worthy to be my disciple. So now we're starting to get the picture pretty clearly. Jesus is putting the the law down. He's helping us understand what it means. They hold to his teachings. John chapter 8 verse 31 says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You cannot be a disciple of Christ without knowing the word of God. Because the word of God is the written revelation of the living Christ. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You have to know His Word. It means you have to make effort, it means you have to study. It means it's insufficient to wake up in the morning and because you've been told you've got to have devotions every day, you do that so God doesn't strike you down during the day, which is nothing more than superstition, and it's not the way we operate. But we read the Word so we will know the Lord, not to fulfill some imaginary requirement, but we want to know the Lord and we read His Word and we study His Word so that we know Him, which is eternal life. It's not a superstitious act. It's an act of understanding and of knowledge. But see, that's too hard for some people. I'm not going to take the time. I'm not going to make the effort to understand the Word of God. Well, the Lord says, unless you abide in My Word, you're not going to be My disciple. They loved one another. This may be the toughest of all. I ask you to look to the left and the right once again. How lovable are those people? Now, some of you might say, you know what, they're pretty lovable. Uh, you're probably sitting next to your mate if you're married, and you look at them, please don't answer out loud. <laughs> but you, you probably look at them and say, yes, I love you. But then if you look across the room, you might say, there's, there's a weirdo over there. And you know what? I'm Just to be honest with you, a lot of Christians are weird. We are. We're a strange bunch. We don't look at things the way the world looks at them. So we're a little bit different. Some of us are a little bit more different than others. But we're different. And, and here's what happened among the brothers, the, the disciples. The Lord says, By this... The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the love doesn't depend upon the loveliness of the other person because, quite frankly, some people are not very lovely. They're not very lovable. Some people are just downright grating, they're nasty, they're downers. I'm not going to go on. But it's not them that generate our privilege to love. It's what's within us. Because it is the love of Christ that's shed abroad within our hearts that causes us to be able to love others. It's the very nature of God to love. Not because of the loveliness of the object to which that love is directed, but because of the nature of who He is. And so He places within us that capability. And we say... I'm not going to get a giddy feeling about you, which is the way we define love. Instead, I'm going to love you the way the Lord does. I'm going to look at you with this desire. I want the very best for you. I want to do whatever is necessary to help you become everything that God wants you to be. That's love. And that you can do. They bore much fruit for Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 18. Or pardon me, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. How much fruit have you been bearing for the Lord? How much? What, what kind of basket would you have? Alright, I'm picking the fruit right now. Here's, here's my fruitfulness. Okay, how full is your basket? You ought to ask yourself that question from time to time. Because you can't be a disciple of Christ unless you're bearing much fruit. So you need to. And they patterned their life after Christ. Here is a a phenomenal passage. And I made a brief reference to this earlier in a different context. Matthew chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher. Nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. What what these disciples did was they patterned their lives after what they saw in the person of Christ. And they be, you know that that old phrase, "What would Jesus do?" That that was out years ago. There'd be the little plastic bracelets, and they're probably it's probably still out there today. And then that really got corrupted. It was used by comedians. And they would say, oh, what would Jesus do? And it became a a terrible thing. But the reality is, that's a pretty good question. If we ask it the right way. What would Jesus do? A disciple says, I'm going to pattern myself after what Jesus would do. And so you look at this and you say, well, these, these are the things that characterize the disciple. Now let me move on. I want to go into this final area of what motivates the disciples. And some of this is going to be a little bit repetitive because disciples are motivated by love. If I want the very best for you, that not only becomes an expression of my following Christ, but it also becomes a motivating feature that says this. I'm going to say about you things that are beneficial. I'm going to address you with an approach that is to your benefit. I am going to seek the very best for you. And so a disciple that is following Christ is motivated by love. He is motivated by the grace that God has shown to him, where God gives us the opposite of what we deserve. You may know people that deserve some nasty things because they have been really nasty people. By grace, you don't do that. Instead, As the Lord said, you love your enemies. You treat them with kindness. And so these disciples were motivated by the love and the grace and by the mandate, what Christ had commanded them. You go and make disciples. And the way that that we should understand that is there's only one command there in that passage. In our King James, it's translated this way: "Go ye therefore and uh, (laughs) now I forget what's that? Go ye into all the world." Okay, but but that the go looks like it's a command, and it's not. It's a participle. What it's saying is this: In your going, you make disciples. There's the command. And then, more participles, teaching them to obey all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the command is, make disciples. They did. They understood that the need would motivate them. You remember how the Lord said to the disciples, "Uh, uh, look to the fields, they're white unto harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his field. And we, we hear that from missionaries. And, and I've been down a road that has questioned whether or not that was a universal command or if that was something that was specifically to the disciples. Because I'll be honest with you, as I look around, from a human point of view, I don't see the, the fields being white unto harvest. I see gleanings. It's tough reaching people with the gospel. Man, if the fields were white unto harvest, we'd go out there and we'd have people getting saved one right after the other. I'm not so sure that that was not for a specific time. But regardless, if you don't agree with that, that's okay. Here is what the Lord is saying. I do need people, whether the harvest is white or whether the harvest is tough, I need people to go out and work in my fields. And the disciples said, we'll go. We'll go. They were convinced, the conviction, Thomas said, unless I feel the Lord's hands and, and uh, put my hand into His side and, and, and feel where He was speared, and I, I won't believe. But then the Lord appeared to him. And by the way, we're not told that Thomas ever did reach out and touch the Lord, though the Lord would have let him do that. But he became so convinced in the reality of Christ's resurrection that he died for Christ. Because He knew the truth. The Lord enables. He doesn't ask you to be His disciple and then leave you with no capability. He gives you spiritual gifts. And, and I'd like to expand on that more, but I want to get to something else, and you'll understand in just a moment. The final thing is by reward. D- d- can you imagine how Well, not just imagine. Some of you have already felt this. How good it is to know that the Lord has done something through you. Is that not a great reward? You you might have led someone to Christ who was on their way to hell, and after you've had the chance of ministering to them and sharing the gospel with them, they have made a decision to trust Christ. Now they are a brother or a sister in the Lord, and they're on their way to heaven. And you say, God used me. (laughs) That's great. Or a brother or a sister who is discouraged, and you step in and you help them through their time of need, and you say, Man, that was great. That's just one of the rewards. Let me list a few others. Being instructed by the Lord, to hear from the God of creation and know that He is teaching you through His Word, close fellowship with the Lord, being honored by the Father living a full life. I feel badly for people who feel that all they can do in life is grab for all the gusto when at the end of my life all I want to be able to say is this Lord I did your will. What a great life this has been. So here's where we're left. God intends for you to be a disciple. And He intends for us, as a church, to make disciples. Here comes the question. How are we doing? How are we doing? I imagine depending on who we would talk to, we'd get different answers. Some would say, oh, you're doing pretty well. Others would say, no, you guys aren't getting the job done at all. And probably in specific areas, both would be right. I've looked at our church and I've come to a conclusion. Been here eight years. And I don't think we're doing that good a job. Just to be very honest about it. Uh, Let me put it this way. I think we could do a whole lot better. And so by the grace of God we're going to do our best to do better but we want people who honestly say I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and we're going to make it possible for that to happen starting very soon And we've already done this in a very little way, kind of an experimental way, but we are now moving full bore into something that I know has become a popular thing of the day. And if you know me at all, you know this. I don't give a rip about popular things. But I do care about things that are effective. And what I understand is this. In a setting... Of a small number of people meeting together, just like Jesus did, we can help each other become better disciples. We have the large meeting. You're in it right now. We had the smaller meeting in our Sunday school hour. Many of you were there, some of you were not. But we don't have the little area where we really are keeping each other accountable and we're looking at each other and we're saying, you know what, I need you in my life. Or, I am here for you when you need me. Starting in August, we are going full bore with small groups and people are being trained right now to facilitate those groups and here is what I'm asking. I'm asking every one of you to be part of one. Now here's what I understand. Not all of you are going to make that commitment. And I will say this. If you do not commit to be faithful to this small group, don't bother coming. Because you will be harmful to the group. We want people who want to be disciples of Christ. If you listened at all to anything I've talked about this morning, I hope you understand that's what the Lord intends for you. To become a disciple. And if you're not going to be faithful in attending, don't bother. Don't sign up. Don't, don't be a problem for the group because I'm already instructing the people who are going to be leading the groups. If people do not show up, ask them to leave. Ask them to, we, we're serious about this. Ask them to leave the group. If you can't get there on time, don't be like our Sunday school classes. Get there on time. Because we mean business about this. And what you're going to find is a loving group of people with a relationship with each other growing in grace and knowledge of Christ worshiping the Lord coming to Him with prayer that many have neglected. And understanding that our responsibility is to make an impact on the world around us. And I think we'll do a better job in making disciples. The question is are you going to be part of it? Let's stand. Father, thank you for giving us such wonderful truth in your word, for showing us the pathway not only to the Savior, but also showing us the pathway of living lives that are pleasing and honoring and glorifying to God. Father, I thank you for these people you have brought together a wonderful group of individuals. And Father, I believe that within this group, you are going to raise up disciples. I pray, Father, that you would help us to genuinely be serious about growing and about becoming the disciples you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would help us then to do what you instructed through Paul to teach others as we've been taught. We ask, Lord, that we would love You and that we would genuinely love one another for in doing so, the world will see that we are Your disciples. Amen. God bless you.